And it's always good to have Pastor Brad Kremenzik back with us. I'm very thankful for that man. Um, so a few weeks ago, I was having one of my typical Sunday mornings. You know, usually I get up, I have a time of prayer, and then I work on the sermon a bit. I want to put a little final polish on it, go through it one more time, make sure the, the slides are the way I want them to be. And after doing all that, sometimes time gets away from me. And then it's off to the races, run and brush my teeth, try to remember, okay, what, what sport coat did I wear last week? Let's at least don't wear that one. And, uh, and, and kind of off and running. And um, sometimes I do that, and I barely say goodbye to anybody else in the house. And my wife shared with me uh, what rushing out of the house caused in our household on one particular morning. And on this occasion, my five-year-old, he's actually six as of Friday, um, walked into our bedroom and I, after I'd already left and said, well, well, Mommy, where's Daddy? And she informed him that I'd already left to go to the church. Well, he was upset. And he started to cry. And he said, well, I didn't get to give him a hug and a kiss goodbye. And that stuck in my head, obviously, of what that little guy needed to know before I left the house. See, he needed some sense of security that I was going to be coming back, that I wasn't just leaving. And usually I make a big deal about when I'm coming and going, and you know, when, when I don't make a big deal about it, he feels insecure. Does he miss me? Does he love me? It's important that our kids know that we love them. And maybe you've experienced the anxiety of a child in this way. It's kind of heartbreaking. Kids who need to love their parents. And frankly, we all need to know that we are loved by someone, don't we? And during the final meal that Jesus would have with his disciples, and moments before he was betrayed by Judas, he begins to say goodbye to those men whom he calls in this moment little children. He's saying goodbye to those with whom he has been with during this three-year ministry of his. And what I want to talk about this morning is, well, how do I love like Christ? How do I love like Christ? And some of his final words to his disciples, he wanted to make it clear that he dearly loved them and he dearly loves us. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll be in John chapter 13, and we'll be looking at verses 31 through 38. That's John 13, verses 31 through 38. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while am I with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. 
Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. You may be seated. Just like that last song we sang stated it very clearly, we're in the middle of a series called Living Hope because Jesus Christ is our only, only living hope. I can offer you no hope in the course of this lifetime outside of the person of Jesus Christ. He made the reason for this book known, and I'd ask you to read this again with me off the screen, including the reference. If you please read this with me. This is why John wrote the book, John 20, 30 and 31. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and the believing you may have life in His name. And we're on our way to the cross and the empty tomb, and we've rearranged these verses a little bit. I, I covered those passages uh, during the Easter season, we, the, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. But we have a lot to learn, and, and some of this message will sound familiar if you were here on our Monday Thursday service. Uh, the passage we just read is the opening of what's called the Upper Room Discourse. They had just shared the Last Supper together. And it's a lengthy section. And Jesus is explaining, this is what is going to come next for you, disciples. Now, I'm going to share in depth with you, Christ saying, I'm going to share in depth with you more about the Trinity. You'll see those in the weeks to come. But He's sharing with them in this Upper Room, this last time they'll have together. And the word Monday, this is the, the passage is typically used during the Monday Thursday service. The word Monday comes from the Latin word mandatum, which means commandment. Because Jesus said here, a new commandment I give to you to love each other. This morning I want to explore this new commandment more fully than I was able to do on the night of our Monday Thursday service. And I believe there's three important aspects of this new command that we need to understand if you like ways of remembering, like I do. You could think of it as the three B's, okay? Be able, be willing, be aware. Be able, be willing, and be aware. Now, let's go through uh, these three. First, it's important that we be able to receive the love of Christ, and then that we are willing to share the love of Christ and that we are aware of the difficulty in sharing Christ, as Peter is going to find out. But let's talk about this being able to receive. So Judas, he just ran out of the upper room to betray Jesus. That just happened in the last passage. To betray the one who had just washed his feet, by the way. And Jesus is meeting with his disciples, and we get to the verses we just looked at, and the setting is it's an intimate one, and, and he's addressing the disciples. He's speaking of his glorification. The departure of Judas began the glorification. And, the, and that's going to include his crucifixion and his resurrection, then his ultimate glorification when he gets to heaven, just like someday we will be glorified when we get our new bodies and 
and, and get to heaven. And throughout Jesus' life of obedience, God was honored, and, and his power has been made visible through all these signs and these healings in Jesus' ministry. And now this hour of glorification has, has dawned. Even in washing his disciples' feet, Jesus is declaring the love that the Father has for his children. And he's teaching them more about God's glory, and God's glory is radiating through Christ. Then he addresses his disciples as little children. Now, this is a very affectionate, clear term, and it expresses his concern for them, and it's used only here by Jesus in this gospel. <clears throat> John will use it seven times in 1 John, and Paul used it once in Galatians 4. Jesus announced once again that he would be gone they would not be able to find him. He's speaking about his death and his ascension. And he's expressing the, to these disciples in the most intimate terms how much he loves them. He loves them like they were little children, like innocent little kids, wide-eyed. They'd been his loyal followers. And now he's giving them hard news. And if you've ever expressed hard news to one of your kids... That's what Jesus is doing here now. They can't come where he's going, but they are his children. He expressed his love prior to this moment. He washed their feet. It was hard for Peter to accept, but he finally relented. But Peter still has no idea the degree to which Christ actually loves them. To the, he showed the extent of that in washing the feet of Judas. You see, none of us here have ever encountered a person who has loved us perfectly. Maybe you had good parents. You were blessed with good parents. That's great. But uh, you've never encountered someone who'd never been bitter or jealous or hateful because we're all imperfect people. And I gather it was not easy for the disciples, especially Peter, to accept this kind of of an unselfish love. It's, it, it's disorienting. There's a story I came across about a woman that you may or may not know of. Um, her name's Liz Curtis Higgs. She's a, a writer now, but a Christian writer. But at one time, she was a militant feminist and a lesbian. She's actually married to a pastor now. She had a really foul-mouthed radio that she did. And it turns out that Back in the past, she was dating a woman who at least professed to be a Christian. Now, I know there's problems with that, but that's a different sermon for a different day, okay? That's not this morning. And uh, because she'd been burned by so many men, she'd been uh, heartbroken. She became this militant feminist. And I underscore militant. But she had this Christian girlfriend who kept inviting her to church. One day, after a long, long time, she finally relented and said, okay, I'll, I'll go to church with you. They went to church, and uh, she went with her, one, with her, her friend, and, and, and that week, the pastor just happened to be teaching and preaching on the passage, wives, submit to your husbands. Not exactly a great verse to start out with with her. And she got uptight, she got ticked, she got angry, but she stuck she stuck to it. She stayed there, and uh, she heard the second part of the verse. The second part of the verse says, And husbands, 
you sacrifice yourself. You give yourself for your wives just like Christ gave himself up for the church and died for her. Who is asked to give their life up in this passage? It's the husband. And when she heard that part, she leaned over to her friend and said with some cynicism, she said this, well, I'd gladly give myself to any man if I knew he would die for me. And guess what her friend leaned over to her and said? Liz, there is a man who loved you enough to die for you. His name is Jesus Christ. That's how much he loves you. And it wasn't long after that that she began to drop that guard, that, that militant feminist guard that she had. She let it drop. She surrendered her life to God in love, became a believer, and she's now this well-known Christian speaker and author. Can you accept that love of this man? How much he loves you to the point of death? See, these disciples don't even get to the extent to which they're loved. And you know what? I don't believe any of us fully get the love of Christ. But it's something that if we are going to extend the love of Christ, I do not believe we can do that until we have received the love of Christ. Because that's how we are to turn around and love each other. So we have to be able to accept it. And then Jesus is going to challenge these disciples, gives them this new commandment. We see it in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Now, this is speaking to a willingness. Are you willing? Now, you may be thinking, Chad, nobody can do this. Well, so what? Jesus never dropped a bar when he gave commands. It's not a completely new commandment, interestingly. It's a, a new standard of love. If, if we look back at Leviticus uh, chapter 19, verse 18, the Jews were familiar with this. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So they had heard something like this before, but notice what it says. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. But see, this isn't the standard that Jesus now gives. Jesus says to love one another as I have loved you. And there's two aspects of that love I want to point out. Because see, the disciples know they have been loved, but they still don't fully get the extent of that love. They won't fully get it until Jesus goes to the cross. But this is how we're to love one another. First of all, this is a, this is a sacrificial love. It's a sacrificial love. It's a love that cannot be repaid. It's not transactional. You're not doing it so you can get something back. And you're not just doing it because somebody may have extended it to you. It's not a give to get. It's a love that can be extended to enemies, as Jesus demonstrated by washing the feet of Judas. It's not looking to gain anything for itself. It's sacrificial. But it's not just sacrificial. Look at verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, it's also an identifying love. That we may be identified as disciples of Jesus Christ by the way we love one another. And man, is it hard for us to get this. And, and when you look through the book of Acts, you see the church just beginning in chapter 2. We, 
we start seeing love in action. It says they continued uh, in the apostles' doctrine. This is the church had just been born. Jesus has been ascended. Something called the day of Pentecost happened. Uh, the apostles received the Holy Spirit. It says there the early, about the early church in Acts 2, they continued in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread. That means they were spending time together in prayers. It's Acts 2, uh, 42 and 43. It says they sacrificed some of their possessions to meet the needs of the brothers. That's uh, 2, verses 44 and 45. They gladly worshipped and ate together. Gladly, verses 46 and 47, they constantly taught and preached in public and private settings, that Jesus is the Christ. That's chapter 5. They provided for the needs of the widows, Acts 6, 1 through 7. They sent relief to the, brothers, uh, the brethren in other places, Acts chapter 11. And then when the unbelieving community saw what was going on among this early church, and they saw how they were treating each other, what happened? <clears throat> Acts chapter 4 that many believed and obeyed the Word of God. In Acts chapter 5, listen to this. They esteemed or thought very highly of the Christians. That was the reaction of the unbelieving people around them. And when Christians have this reputation for being compassionate towards each other, people will come seeking help. And Christians can provide support physically and emotionally if that is what we are known by. And this command to love has its first application within the body of Christ. And it's when a non-Christian steps foot inside a church, that should be the first observation they make. It is my prayer, I think, every day that when people step into First Baptist Church, the one thing that they will walk away with is they saw people loving each other, taking time to speak to each other, being in community and fellowship with each other. By this, all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. One of the very first uh, Christian, one of the Christian fathers, Tertullian, he actually is the uh, the man who coined the word Trinity, uh, he, he lived in the th early 3rd century. He wrote this. He said, It is mainly the deeds of a love so noble that lead many to put a brand upon us. See, they say, how they love one another. See how they are ready even to die for one another. This was the social caring of the early church and the commitment of Christians to one another. It was, a, it was a testimony to the Roman world that had really sharp social distinctions, class distinctions. These Christians are different. It wasn't because they looked like the culture. They weren't just getting angry with the culture. And if we make this proclamation, I was thinking about this hymn we used to sing back in the day, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ our Lord. One foundation. And if we have a solid doctrinal foundation, which I absolutely believe we have here at FBC, or I, I wouldn't be here. If we didn't, I'd suggest you go somewhere else too. But I believe we do. Then we cannot afford to be disunified over lesser matters. 
and unloving to each other. We have to be willing to share this love with others. And, I, you know, I don't know that we can just will ourselves, um, or, or can we? Can we just will ourselves to love others like Christ? It kind of reminds me of this old bumper sticker. You see it all the time. It was, pray hard. You know, I'm not just going to pray. I'm going to. I'm going to pray hard. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to really pray. Is that how we're going to love? I'm not just going to love. I'm going to really love them. I'm going to love them hard. Well, are you? One person present there thought that they were. Back in verse 33, Jesus indicated that he wasn't going to be with them much longer and he was about to go away and and where he was going, they wouldn't be able to follow. And this did not at all sit well with Peter. And he heard what Jesus said back in verse 33. And I, I don't even think that Peter heard what Jesus said in verses 34 and 35. He just heard 33. And then, uh, you know, in 34 and 35, he said, this command is, is to love each other. Instead, uh, look at Peter and Jesus' interchange in verses 36 through 38. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow after. Peter said to him, Lord, why cannot I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. He's so confident of this great love he has for Jesus. He said, you know, I'd rather be dead than separated from you. But he's grossly underestimating himself. Rather, he's grossly, uh, he, he's overestimating his ability. He's greatly underestimating his own weakness and what Jesus' death would entail. And Peter spoke of laying his life down. Ironically, Jesus is first going to lay down his life for Peter. You know, it's really easy when your, your belly's full and you're reclining at a table and you're comfortable to make this strong statement about what you're willing to do. But when the garden is dark and when the mob starts to gather and Jesus is no longer physically present with you, it all starts to get far less attractive. When this thing's not going down like you expected it to. And Peter makes claims he's not going to be able to live up to. Jesus tells Peter exactly what his response will be. Look at verse 38. Jesus said, will you, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. That's unfathomable for Peter at this moment. He didn't have a sense of awareness. He wasn't aware of the challenges he was going to, have to live, live up to, the claims he was making. He lacked awareness of his own shortcoming to love like Christ. And we will struggle with this as well. So in order to love like Christ, you must also be aware. Beware of the difficulty we'll have in sharing Christ's love. And be aware of your need to receive Christ's love and meditate on that love. I have to start my day with the gospel. 
And the older I get, and, and at times the more challenging life feels like, I have to start my day preaching the gospel to myself. I really am forgiven. He really does love me. All the problems and circumstances that are just feel like they're hammering away at my heart right now are nothing in comparison to this love that Christ has for me. And if you and I would have stepped into this time and asked who were the most religious people in the crowd, who really had the truth, you would have said it was the Pharisees. But they had the hardest time loving Jesus. And, and for evangelicals, this command to love, oftentimes it's been translated in a command to, to love the world. And we love the world by going out and preaching the gospel to the world. But, uh, and that's an appropriate attitude to increase the work of Christ and the church out in the world. But Jesus is talking specifically about how we love one another. Within his church, John Ortberg, he pointed out that among evangelicals who are fighting for the truth, he said, we often see our opponents as not qualifying for love. He said, there's an old saying suggests that the first casualty of war is truth. He writes, this is not quite true. The first casualty of war is love. And then he goes on to describe these Pharisees as uh, being the, the rigorously orthodox thinkers of the time who stood on the right side of all the tough issues, yet they had the most difficult time loving those whom Jesus loved. People whom Jesus was willing to take into as part of his community. And imagine how shocked uh, they were when Jesus claimed confidently that the entire law was summed up in the command to love and and oftentimes when Christians disagree, if it's a, a national debate or a big cultural issue in a local congregation, there's this unresolved tension between speaking the truth and loving each other. Jesus commanded us to love. You know, not to mention the lack of awareness that we have of our own prejudices. I remember a conversation I had with a, uh, it was myself, and a man from India, and a man from Africa. And in the course of that conversation, we all came to the same conclusion that none of us really get the depth to which we are prejudiced against other people groups. It's there. I don't want to admit it. And I hope it's not as bad as it was, as God is sanctifying me. And if you're wondering... Well, how do I just get started on this path of love, Chad? You know, it, you can start right in your own home. Uh, the other night I was, I was uh, laying in bed, and frankly, I was wiped out. I mean, I was just feeling done. And oftentimes at the end of the day, I will go to bed, and I'll feel like a failure. I've failed to love my family well. I've, I've failed to do the things I knew I should have done. And I'm laying out, I'm praying about it. Again, I'm getting back to the gospel. What's important is what Jesus says about me, not what I say about myself. And I'm laying there and I'm, I'm just praying, God, how can I love my wife better? How can I love my son better? And I, this, <laughs> literally, I opened my eyes. At the foot of the bed is a basket full of laundry. It's already been washed. It's in that basket. Now, I know my wife her job in, in just maintaining our home and raising our son, it's more physically grueling than mine is. 
But I saw that basket, and I was wiped out, but I knew what I had to do. This, this, I really debate if I want to share this with you today or not, but here, I'm sharing it. I, I take the headphones off. Actually, I left the headphones on. I get up, and, and we're both just worn out. I start folding laundry. Now, I wish I could tell you I did this all the time. Let me tell you, I've walked by those baskets more times than I can count. Don't think this is something I... This was a work of God in my life, okay? I just get up and I thought, you know what? This is something I can do. I can at least get up and, and I can fold these clothes. I, when, in seminary, when my wife worked, I was the laundry man. Okay, I know how to do it. I know the secret way to fold it, the shirts. and Anyway, so that's just what can you do in your household? You know, my wife also, she knows. She knows the, the, the way to my heart. And, and I tell you, I've told her more than once, honey, you may just see some taco meat laying on a plate on a burrito, but I said, what I see is a big plate of love. <laughs> Dinner plates are heart-shaped for me. <laughs> they really are. And she gets that. How can you, now you got to know how your, your spouse can receive that. But, you know, just in your own home, just ask, what can I do today to express this love? And then it's got to extend out to the other folks here. And it, typically it's time. Are you willing to make that sacrifice of time? Putting this together, be identified as, as a Christian by God's new standard of love. Let that be what identifies you. Somebody better check that alarm. Um, we want to love others as he's loved us. There's, I want to close with this. Uh, this is from Jonathan Lehman. He wrote about this love in an article called Loving the Church, and he says this, Love in a church also involves mercy and forbearance. Even as we have received mercy and forbearance, love covers a multitude of sins. Some of your fellow members are easy to love. Some are difficult and that's the point. The easy to love teach us how to love those who are difficult. The annoying ones, the immature ones, those who don't show up on time for nursery duty, those whose kids snub our kids. If love is patient and kind, as Paul says, you can assume it will be the people who tempt us to impatience and unkindness and that best trains us in ways to love. Love for the church starts in a local church, a place with real people, with real gifts, and real problems. So get to work here. Then let your love for other local churches, other denominations, and Christians everywhere grow out of this local seedbed. Love like Christ, and be identified with that kind of love. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for loving us enough to sacrifice your son for us. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for your willingness. It can never be overstated of how much you love and care for us. Lord, let us receive that love. Let us meditate on it. When we get wrapped around the axle about injustices that have been done to us by judgmental people that 
may even call themselves Christians. God, I pray that we would turn our eyes to Christ. Lord Jesus, there was nothing fair about what happened to you. Give us the capacity and the willingness to receive it and extend it to others. Lord, let people, even after this service, make a short sacrifice of time to just stop and to mingle, to have a donut, a cup of coffee, and and talk to someone, Lord. We ask it all in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Go in peace, and may Jesus Christ, who for our sake became obedient unto death, even death on a cross, keep you and strengthen you this day and forever. Amen. If you're in need of prayer this morning, I would love to meet with you down front and and pray with you. Otherwise, hang out for a little while. Say hello to somebody. Have a good day.